Happy Monday, church family. We are here in chapter 14. Um, probably the, the part that I think in scripture where um, is often portrayed in a very strange way, but it is, um, I mean, it's a very dynamic and powerful scene of the power of God. And we see that this is the parting of the Red Sea. And there are some details here that we probably, or we may have overlooked the first time reading it through, or maybe the second, third time. Certainly for me, there were a lot of things in this book, or this chapter in particular, that that I missed. That you know, upon studying this on my own, that I realized, like, wow, there's this God is even more amazing than I thought He was. And um, and you know, sometimes in our Christian life, there are going to be disappointments and. Uh, I know in my life I've seen um, a lot of people end up leaving the faith because of just seemingly uh, being disappointed by God. Uh, they wanted, they prayed to God and they were hoping that a certain outcome would have come, but it doesn't. Whether it's like a career or relationship or life standing, whatever it may be. Sometimes people pray and then they believe that God will give them something positive and then ends up being a disappointment. And as a result, they start going, they, they go from doubt to unbelief. And in the Christian life, we understand that there are moments where life is going to disappoint us, but God does not promise that everything in life is going to go the way that we want. We're called to trust in God um, in light of the disappointments in our life. Um, and we know that even though things are disappointing, God will ultimately prevail. Christians, um, we wrestle with this. You know, sometimes we we don't know what's going on in life, and we cry out to God, "God, help with help me." Uh, I believe help with my unbelief. And we struggle with it because in our fleshly uh, situation, uh, being in a fallen world with a fleshly body, we always want answers to things, and the Lord doesn't always provide the exact answer, or at least not in the way that we want, or if we're not mindful of it. He or, yeah, sometimes the Lord just doesn't give us the answer in this life. And this should be something that we should be, that we just have to be okay with. Um, Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us that the things of the, or secret things that belong to the Lord, but the things that belong to us are his word. He gives us his word so we can know him. But there aren't going to be guarantees that we know every little detail in life. There's going to be ans- there's going to be questions that we have in this life that will not be answered uh uh, in this life, whether it's like circumstantial things or or event things in life, or the whys, uh, we're we're not given those answers, but we're given enough from Scripture to trust in the Lord, to give us um, the to give us more fuel in the tank, so that we can continue to um, you know walk faithfully. Um, and oftentimes, when we struggle with doubt, we go by what we feel as opposed to what we think. Um, and I've shared this before, that in the life of a Christian, we have to operate off of what we know to be true, what we think the situation is, and what we feel in the current moment. It has to be in that order. We have to, what we know, what we think, and what we feel. Because if you go the opposite, you start with what you feel, that drives what you think, and then from what you know, it's always going to lead to a bad place, and oftentimes the first step of apostasy. I bring this up because this is what goes on in the the in for the for the Israelites, remember this is a point in the book where the Israelites are 
seemingly given permission to leave. And as they pursue, um, as they leave and pursue the promised land, they're being pursued by Pharaoh. And, uh, you know, it was after all the, the different plagues and then the Passover and then the, chapter 13, there's like a preparation um, that they need to do in order to leave. And when we get to chapter 14, this is the, this is really that, that, that um, the exodus, where they actually leave Egypt. Uh, so we're going to look at how to combat disappointments because Israel was disappointed, but yet God always delivered. And it's because of that truth, because of that fact that God always delivers, uh, we can never, we, we don't have to uh, worry about disappointments. In fact, the scripture gives us the remedy to disappointments in life. Even if it's something that's related to God, uh, because as we will see, the Israelites believed in God and they're disappointed by God, then they, they see God's power and then they trust in God. So let's see, chapter 14, verse 1. Now Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pihanathoroth, between Migdal and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal Siphon, opposite by the sea. So this is all these weird geographical things that we can't even pinpoint exactly now. But what we do know, based on some, um, uh, just like some evidence outside of scripture, that they it looked like from a from a distance they're just kind of meandering from one place to another. This is all still in the territory of I Egypt, and the Israelites are just going from one place to another, and it just seems like they're just circling, not really going where they're supposed to go. Because remember, um, they thought that. Uh, uh, God told them to not cross through the shortcut through the Philistines because they're going to go experience war. Instead, he was going to provide a route for them to go through the Red Sea. But this is an endeavor that does not happen in a matter of hours. This is, you know, days and weeks because of, you know, two million people going from one place to another. Uh, if you're just observing from just outside watching, you know, a whole horde of people uh, at nighttime having a pillar fire in the daytime that's being, you know, covered by a cloud, you can see them from a distance and it just seems like they're just going from one place to another, which results, which is, this is all part of God's design, divine design. He intentionally did this and we'll see why. Verse three, for Pharaoh will say to the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. And they did so. So uh, there's some sort of internal dialogue, and almost like prophecy here, where God is telling them what's going to happen. Uh, uh, you know, He said that you're going to do, you're going to go all these places, and this is going to lead to events that will actually make them think that we are aimless, but that's just a stir in the hearts of Pharaoh to pursue them. And it seems that, like, again, this this wasn't a span of hours, this is a span of days. So if you're Pharaoh and you're watching the, like these people running around, going in circles, um, you're going to think to yourself, well, maybe I did a mistake. Maybe, maybe, um, God, maybe their God is false and we need to go and get them back in here, as you shall see. Verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him. So this is exactly what God mentioned in verse 3 and 4. That, uh, they're going to look at this and they're going to say, 
what are we doing? Let's just bring them back here. We, we're losing, uh, uh, we lost all our slaves. We should, uh, that means we have to actually do work ourselves now. Let's get them back. Uh, and so they did that. And when the king of Egypt was, oh, sorry, verse, um, verse 7, and he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel, the sons of Israel, uh, as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea beside Pinhenra in front of Baal Zeran. So then this is just uh, Israel actually listening to what God has commanded them in verse 2. So they get there. Verse 10, As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. It's funny, because they're marching. It's like, marching in the sense, like, were they running in a straight line, or are they going slowly? But somehow, in this, they were able to complain and say this. Uh, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Um, then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us out? to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? I find this line to be hilarious because it's kind of sarcastic. Like, well, there are not enough grave sites in, uh, in, in Egypt for us to be buried. Like, so that's why we're out here. And um, yeah, those, like, they're just complaining about the Lord. Like, is this why we're here to get killed? And this is what's fa fascinating is actually the next verse in verse 12. Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptian for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptian than to die in the wilderness. Now, this is a phenomenon known as, uh, no, known as, um, uh, res recorded memory in the sense that like you think that you said something, but it actually is not the case. Uh, and by that I mean the Israelites generally were not actually saying this uh, maybe a few of them but the majority of them were pleading and begging the Lord for deliverance they were not actually asking God oh let's just stay here and die they knew uh, uh, that there was something more for them and they're crying out to uh, to God to save them but instead they're now saying like oh yes yeah, so this is why we told you that we didn't want to leave it's like well there aren't actually any instances where you said that um at least not the general population there might have been some grumblings but in generally in general all the people there wanted wanted out and when they saw the egyptians coming close they were scared and they, this is almost like a uh oh man i shouldn't have done this it's like a, 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 a sign of regret a sign of regret and as they were you know, complaining verse 13 but moses said to the people do not fear stand by and see the salvation of the lord which is which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. Now, this is actually a significant point. Moses is actually very bold here. He's completely trusting in the Lord. He actually told them that this is what's going... Uh, he's What he's saying here is basically this, that if you actually don't see the Egyptians, then there will be a problem. Um, and the reason why that is is because earlier in the passage it says that the that uh, he will harden Pharaoh's heart and they'll chase after them. So the fact that he sees the Egyptians behind them is supposed to be a testament of God's faithfulness, even in His Word. Like they were disappointed, but God told them, like, no, this is what is going to happen. The 
you being pursued as part of my plan to humble the Egyptians and, and make them feel humiliated at the end. Um, and then, then, you know, Moses tells them, you'll never see them again, uh, see them f- again forever. So there's this promise that this will be the last time you see them. You don't have to worry. You will, you're, it was your divine appointment to see your enemies before you go. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silence. And this is, again, um, Moses trusting in the Lord, trying to give leadership to the people that they don't need to worry because God will fight for them. Verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. Now, this is very crucial here. The word dry land, it comes up again in verse 29. It's dry. So what's so significant about that? Because it's dry. We think when the parting of the sea happened that there must be some sort of moisture, like there's mud, like they're walking through mud. That's not the case. This is dry land, meaning exactly what do you think? It's exactly dry land. So somehow the supernatural event happened and the, the water is going to split open. The rest is going to part inside and then it's going to be, it's going to be completely dry. So it's easy for them to get through. If it's muddy or anything like that, there might be like animals that get stuck, but it's going to be completely dry. That means like this is a supernatural event. Like science, people try to explain away this like scientifically, but you can't explain this because it's like, how long does it take for a river to part and then dry and then have these two walls there. And this is intentionally um, stated so that the Israel will know that the ground that they walk on is a provision from the Lord. Verse 17. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh, and I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. Uh, verse 19, the angel Lord who had began be, had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So there's like basically the, the God entered in into physical form as this pillar of cloud and, and it causes confusion. So it came between the camp of the Egypt and the camp of Israel and there was a cloud along the darkness and gave them light at night. Thus the one that uh, thus the one did not come near the other all night so somehow there was some this cloud was able to provide life for one side but darkness the other it's almost like the same phenomenon the plague where there's uh, israel always got the light but I- egypt was always in darkness verse 21 then moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land again uh, the dry land thing comes up here so the waters were divided uh the sons of Israel went through the midst of sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Then the Egyptian took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in in after them into the midst of the sea. Now, what is this point here? You notice that verse 20 says, all night. I think when we watch like Prince of Egypt or the movies, for sake of time, they kind of make it seem like it happened like they left and they got to Red Sea and then they parted the Red Sea all in a matter of like 20 minutes time. That's actually not the case. It it was actually something that spent like a whole night doing. Somehow the Lord supernaturally protected them in the, from the back with a cloud. And before them, they were just seeing the river, the Red Sea part. And it wasn't just like, it wasn't enough for them just to part, but they had to wait until it was dry land. The land was dry enough for them to be able to walk. 
Verse 20, then Jeshurun took up the horse, uh, pr- took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them in the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of Egypt through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of Egypt into confusion. He caused the chariots' wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for Yahweh is fighting for them against the Egyptians. So there's one person there that at least understood what was going on here. Whether they fleed or not, is I don't think they did, but we'll see. Verse 26, Then Yahweh said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his normal state at daybreak, while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptian in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even the pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. But the God, but the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on the left and on to the right, on the right and then to the left. So again, this is very fascinating because it took hours for that to happen, and when the and when Egypt saw the opportunity, like, oh, look, there's a parting of the sea. And I'm surprised that none of them were horrified by what they're looking at. But they thought, look, the gods are on our side. Let's go and chase after them. And they did. And the moment the entire army went in, they, uh, the Lord cl- collapsed the, the walls onto them. Um, and all of Israelites made it through. Uh, God protected them. And it, it, it cured them of their disappointments that you see in verse back all the way in verse 11 and 12 uh, because here it says in verse 30 thus Yahweh saved Israel that day from the hand of Egyptian and Israel saw the Egyptian dead on the seashore and when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians the people feared Yahweh and they believed in Yahweh and in his servant Moses so this is um, this is the story of the, the parting Red Sea it was not something that happened immediately it took a lot of time um, and each time each of these events from the pillars to the water parting to walking through on dry land these are all instances of god's power that should cure us in our disappointments we think to ourselves well when um when is that happening in our life we're not going to see like dry land when we try to cross the sea we're not going to see a sea part we're not going to see pillar of clouds but the fact that like this is revealed in scripture and other instances in our life is supposed to be a testament to the power of god God will cure your disappointments the more you know him, the more you understand him, and the more you trust in him. That's actually going to be our outline this week uh, as we go over this text. Um, how do we? How can we cure disappointment? How can we not be disappointed in life? First, when you faithfully follow God's word. Secondly, when you faithfully trust in God's wisdom. And third, when you faithfully remember God's work. Uh, so, it's going to be a fun study for me because um, these were some encouraging points as I was thinking through, and I hope that will be encouragement to you too. May this be a blessing to you. Take care. Have a good day.